Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to crack open the dusty filing cabinet and rummage through all the manila envelopes, yellowed, crinkled with age, covered in spiderwebs, adhesions, one might say, (gasps) endowebs, endometriosis webs. I have a feeling that we're looking for the next endophile. (gasps) I'm right. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) That is the endophile soundtrack. (laughs) It's available on iTunes for 99 cents. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's not. We're going to change our intro music. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Hello. Brittany and Amy here on the Endophiles. <laughs> this is episode number three in our series about understanding endometriosis, taking out the mystery, the horror, the intrigue, the knowledge, the power, the, dare I say, Hilarity? The fabapple. <laughs> okay, now the fabapple's back. <laughs> if you heard, Darn it. <laughs> no, no, the fabapple's not back. If you heard episode two of The End of Files, you will know what the fabapple is and how I made a pie out of fabapples. And if you don't know what the fabapple is, <laughs> we do recommend you go back because it's a good episode. You can skip the fabapple part, though. <laughs> Today we're going to crack open the endophiles and we're going to talk about these stages of endometriosis and all the flaws that the staging system has. That, like the definition of endometriosis and the name of endometriosis, has not been updated in a really long time. Hmm. I call for a rebrand! Am I sensing a pattern? I think so. Oh. Today we're going to be talking about the different classification systems for endometriosis, especially the commonly used staging system that most of us might be familiar with. Real quick, we wanted to mention that if you love our podcast, thank you. And how could you not? There are a couple ways that you can support us. One is that you can share about our podcast on social media. So you can share to your Facebook or Instagram or to your stories so that more people can hear about our podcast and find this resource and begin listening. Two, you could leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or the podcast app that you listen to. And then three, you can support the podcast financially. So if you go to our support page on in16years.com or via our link in our bio on Instagram, which is at in16yearsofendo, you'll find a link to buy us a coffee and all contributions will go to upkeeping the cost of this podcast. Thank you so much for any way that you contribute to our show, even if it's just being part of our community and hanging out with us here. Let's talk first about the most widely used classification system, the ASRM, which is the one most commonly used by gynecologists. 
in which endometriosis is classified by stages. We have stage one and stage two and stage three and stage four and stage left and stage oh, right oh. and backstage oh. and forward stage oh. and understage <laughs> and upstage and upstage. Is there really downstage? Yes. Up? That's oh, but there's the front not... of the stage. Upstage mm. is the back of the stage. I see. Yeah. And then you have the balcony seats. Then you've got the pit where the musicians are. Endometriosis definitely hangs out in the pit. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) A.K.A. the Pouch of Douglas. So this is interesting, but prior to excision surgery, I had stage four endometriosis. Oh, lucky you. Thank you. You won the top prize. Thank you, Brittany. But after excision... I only remained with a tiny bit of my endometriosis in my rectum. Oh, what a nice prize to leave with. (laughs) Like, so you still have some in your rectum. Have fun with that. (laughs) Endorectomiotris. Thank you. Thank you. So my question is, if all of my stage four, the adhesions were elized or cut out and the endometriosis was removed and now only endometriosis remains in the rectum, my rectum. Does that mean that I currently have stage one? I think to answer that, we're going to have to look at the criteria of the staging and what makes up the advancement in stages. I should have called my endosurgeon before this. Uh, just, hey, hey there. So just want um, to know. I just want to talk about my stage right now. The, you did a really good job, by the way, and I'm feeling really good. But like, what am I now? But <laughs> do you think I have stage one now? And here's my question. Now, we know some people in the endometriosis community are able to get all of their endometriosis excised. Woohoo! And then even they go in for a surgery a couple years later for something different, like to cut adhesions or maybe to get a hysterectomy for their adenomyosis. And the surgeon is able to confirm that even though it's been a couple of years, they're still endometriosis-free. Now, they still have endometriosis because it's a chronic disease with no cure. But what stage would they have then? Like, is there a stage stage zero? zero? So I think these are all really interesting questions to ponder. But I think to even start to chisel away at figuring out an answer, we'll have to learn what the stages are, how they came about, and what each one means. All right, Brittany, I'm going to ask you a series of questions about the staging system, the who, what, when, where, why. So who? Who? Who made? Yes, Al, Amy. (laughs) Made that. (laughs) Classification system for endometriosis. Who made the stages, stage one, stage two? Who? Who designed this? Who made this up? Oh, are you going to let me answer? (laughs) Hurry up and get in there, Brittany. (laughs) I can't. I'm just letting you be an owl over there, okay? (laughs) The classification system was made by the American Fertility Society. What was the system called? So when it first came out, it was called the American Fertility Society Classification System of Endometriosis. Wow. It's a tongue twister. Also, like, I love that the American Fertility Society had to, like, name drop themselves in there. In the classification like, system. This is the classification system for endometriosis. You need to know that we made By it. the American <laughs> Fertility. So we're going to go like ahead and your call child, it. Like, this is John Smith by Amy Smith. And, like... <laughs> So his name is John Smith. No, no, no. His name's John Smith by Amy Smith. No, they don't have the by. So actually, the name would be Amy Smith John Smith. Yes. So it's like old oh, naming. Amy things. Smith John Smith's son. There you go. 
<laughs> it's like other names in different time periods and cultures have the family name in there. It's like, yes, this is what I'm telling you. <laughs> so that was the old name, but the name was revised to now be, I mean, you're still going to laugh at this, American Society for Reproductive Medicine Classification System. So they still name drop their name. <laughs> I, I like the I like the rebrand from American Fertility Society to American Society for Reproductive Medicine. Yes, I will support that. But still had to name drop. When was the classification system made? The classification system was first made in 1985. And then the revision of the name came in 1996, just as a side note. Where was the classification system made? How many times do I have to say it? The American Fertility Society or the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. That's where it was made. So Europe? <laughs> the American Fertility <laughs> Society. <laughs> so. American <laughs> Fertility Society. Japan. <laughs> But is that North America or South America? I'm leaving right now. I'm leaving. I'm done. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, let's move on to the last question. Why? Ooh, the big question, the existential question. So I wasn't there. I'm not part of the American Fertility Society or American Society for Reproductive Medicine. But but my, if you were, I bet we would have had a better system. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no If you shade. were, I bet there would be some advancements in the field. <laughs> but... Alas, we did not go to medical school. Yet. <laughs> I, Amy enrolls in medical school at 55 years old. That'd be so cool. I mean, if I had the that. money and I didn't have to go to work, I would go to medical school right now. I believe it. Well, the original idea behind the staging system was to predict fertility outcomes. Ah, fertility outcomes with a staging system originally made by the American Fertility Society. Ah. And that is starting to make sense to me that why when we look at the staging system for endometriosis, which I think many of us have seen these pictures of the different stages online or on social media, and what you see is that they're very heavily focused on the ovaries. And when you get to the picture of stage four, you see these ovaries, these the two ovaries, and they're just like covered with endometriosis. Looks like someone put like a blanket on them or they're like covered in spider webs with all the adhesions. And now it makes sense to me, like, why is there so much focus on the ovaries? Well, because it was originally designed by the American Fertility Society. And one of the ideas was to predict fertility outcomes. So, like you said, we've all seen those pictures in articles or on social media of the poor little ovaries covered in blankets of nasty adhesions, but we never see the other organs. Like, where is the intestine who's all hurting and sad and the bladder who's covered in more spider webs? The urinary tract, the lung, the diaphragm, the rectum. Everything else is all lonely because they're left out. Well, they're not lonely. They got endometriosis on them. But they're left out of the pictures. They feel so unseen. What about them? Oh, justice for the other internal pelvic organs. What about the vagina? Oh, leave them all out. Only the ovaries. They're all so lonely. Why are they being neglected? If they have endometriosis on them, why aren't they being recognized? They're suffering too. They're sad. They're hurting. They're irritated. They're inflamed. They're crying. 
crying blood. Oh, no. Sorry. (laughs) There's a lot that we want to discuss with this staging system. Where to start? Start with the points. Okay. So the different stages are based on a points system. So in order to have stage four, you need to have a higher number of points than you would have in stage three and in stage two and in stage one. So, so it's like if I get a 100, I have stage four. <laughs> you get an, I, I get an A, a plus, Brittany. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Ow. Gene <laughs> hurts. So the point system has to do with the number and the size and the location of the endometriosis lesions and the endometriomas, and the adhesions. Oh. But guess what it does not give points for? I'm guessing it does not give points for all those other poor, lonely, sad, neglected organs. Yes, exactly. It even says on the guidelines of the staging system, it says, quote, the presence of endometriosis on the bowel, urinary tract, fallopian tube, vagina, cervix, skin, etc. And the poor body parts that aren't even listed, they're just called etc. That's just harmful and neglectful. The guidelines say that they should be documented under additional endometriosis. End quote. How many points does additional endometriosis get? Zero. Well, that seems completely ridiculously wrong. The person gets points for endometriosis on the peritoneum. That's like the lining of the abdominal cavity. By the way, the staging worksheet to add up the points says that the surface of the uterus should be considered the peritoneum. So if there was endo on the uterus's surface, (laughs) the uterus's surface. (laughs) That's a tongue twister. I also wanted to say like the uterus is surfing. Oh, I mean, that that sounds painful. (laughs) A crimson wave. Oh. You get it? Yes. Blood. Okay, we, yeah, we got it. Okay. <laughs> so if there was endo on the uterus's surface, that would fall under the peritoneum category. The other location where endo gets points is when there's endo on the ovaries. And then points are assigned for adhesions on the ovaries and the tubes. Finally, points are also given for partial or complete obliteration of the cul-de-sac which is when the rectum starts to scar to the back of the uterus. That's it? Those are the only locations I get points for? Yes. So since you only have endometriosis on your bowel, would you just, like, not have endometriosis because it doesn't get any points? (laughs) Like, I don't understand this. Okay, you have endometriosis, but you have stage zero with zero points because our point system doesn't factor in the endometriosis that you could have anywhere in your body. It only factors in the endometriosis that you have on the peritoneum, on the ovaries, and the tubes, and of course, the obliteration of the cul-de-sac. And if you don't have endometriosis there, then, ooh, do you have endometriosis? I don't like this question. Do you have a special (laughs) brand of endometriosis? You have endometrio. It's not fully cis. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, when I said endo on the tubes, I meant to say the adhesions on the tubes get the points, not the endo. You know, when I looked at the system guidelines, I found it was very interesting. They actually wrote that, quote, distribution of points has been arbitrarily determined and may require further revision or refinement as knowledge of the disease increases, end quote. Knowledge of the disease has 
definitely increased, so why has there been no further revision or refinement? Are you sure that knowledge of the disease has increased since 1985, about 35 years ago? Okay, maybe. Are you sure? Maybe I'm not so sure, but I like to think so. (laughs) Are you sure? I feel like sometimes we're living in the same era of endometriosis that people were living in a century ago in 1900s. (laughs) That's painful and sad. (laughs) Well, I think you bring up a good point because... The current stages that we have now have been criticized as focusing really heavily on adhesions and not on endometriosis. And it's also faced criticism for the points system being unclear to surgeons depending on their level of experience. So different doctors may say that you have a different stage of endometriosis depending on how many points they come up with when they tally the points looking at your endometriosis. Stage one is one to five points. So normally this is like you have minimal endometriosis. And then stage two is six to 15 points. One doctor's like, look, let me tally your points. Oh yeah, you have five points. So you have stage one. And then you have another surgery Maybe this doctor is more experienced in being able to recognize endometriosis and all the colors and the forms and the fireworks. No, just kidding. No fireworks. Oh, fireworks inside me. Oh, Oh, yeah. It's already enough going on in there. (laughs) I don't need that, too. And then this doctor tallies it up and he's like, oh, no, you have six points. So you have stage two. And you're like, well, do I have stage two or do I have stage one? You're in the borderline. You have one foot in California and one foot in Nevada. Oh, (laughs) Am I at that pool that's like goes right through the California-Nevada line? (laughs) Stage three is when you have 16 to 40 points. And stage four is when you have more than 40 points. Oh, my God. Wouldn't it be so great if the points that you got for your endometriosis were really like points that you could cash in? Rewards points? Yeah, like maybe they're gas points or maybe (sighs) they're... I can cash it in for a new necklace? Ooh, or like... I don't know, you can get 10% off your grocery store order. Oh, this sounds way better than getting (laughs) stage four endometriosis. (laughs) It's like you have enough endometriosis points to get a free smoothie. I love how yours are really fun. Like a necklace, a free smoothie. Mine are like gas points, grocery (laughs) store. I mean, those are important too. But if I'm trading in like endo points, I want it to be really worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and the points in the stages can be reached by many different combinations of endo. So two people with stage four, four being that you have more than 40 points, might reach stage four through different combinations of the disease. So although we both have enough points to go get necklaces, I mean, get classified as having stage four endo. My necklace. (laughs) The way that my stage four endo is reached and your stage four endo is reached can be different because of the way the disease is inside of us. We want to point out that the staging system does not reflect the level of pain that you might be in. So you can have stage one and you can have a lot of pain and you can have stage four and you can have no pain at all. The unfairness of it all. Hold on. I just want to I just want to like sit with that idea for a minute. No pain at all. (laughs) What is that like? Well, you have stage nothing, maybe not even endometriosis. I mean, you have no pain, right? Oh, well, yeah. I Apparently, I have stage zero. I mean, I'm not <laughs> sure what's going on with endometriosis in my You have nothing metriosis. <laughs> I have the endometriosis that's listed as additional endometriosis on the worksheet, but that, what does that mean apparently for me? <laughs> didn't get any 
points. So what am I? No necklace or gas points for you. That's not fair. I want gas points. So the endo in Amy's rectum, isn't that fun to say, the endo in Amy's rectum? Yeah, let's wait. Let's all stop and say it together. (laughs) The endo in Amy's rectum. It's so fun to talk about a disease in your best friend's rectum. Like, that's such a joy for me. (laughs) So talk about the disease in your own rectum. It's really fun. (laughs) So the endo in Amy's rectum. My God, can you stop talking about my rectum? The rectum endo that Amy has inside of her. The endo in the rectum of Amy. Amy's endo rectum. The rectometriosis. Oh, ooh. Amy's rectometriosis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that endometriosis is what's known as extrapelvic endometriosis. The rectometriosis is extrapelvic. Unfortunately, the ASRM classification system, it doesn't classify endometriosis that is extrapelvic into its stages which results in this ASRM system oftentimes leaving out deep, infiltrating endometriosis. Rude. Also, why? (laughs) Because deep, infiltrating endometriosis is often found on parts that are considered extrapelvic. So oftentimes it's found on the bladder, the bowel, the ureter. Deep, infiltrating endometriosis is famous. Maybe in the good way, maybe in the bad way. Infamous. It's infamous for being the most invasive and aggressive form of endometriosis. Well, that seems important. I mean, eh. (laughs) How can we leave that out? How? Again, eh. (laughs) And deep infiltrating endo is often found on the vagina, the uterosacral ligaments, and the retrocervical space, too. And as we said earlier, those don't get any points in the ASRM system either. How dare we have to write about deep infiltrating endometriosis on the staging working under a heading like additional and etc. Again, eh. They should make a category on the worksheet called deep infiltrating endometriosis. Give it the respect and horror it deserves. <laughs> right? Okay, so because of that, the stages can be an incomplete description of endometriosis because it doesn't always tell us about all of the endometriosis that a person has. For example, someone with stage 1 probably indeed has minimal endometriosis. And that is because superficial endometriosis is much more common than deep infiltrating endometriosis, okay? But someone with stage 1 could also have deep infiltrating endometriosis on the diaphragm and on the bladder, and they could have a partial bowel obstruction from the deep infiltrating endometriosis. And it would still only be called stage one because of the staging system and what it takes into account and what it doesn't take into account. That's ridiculous. Absurd. Nonsensical. Useless. Dare I say, outdated. Really, the ASRM is an incomplete representation of the disease. Researchers really need to think outside the box when it comes to categorizing endometriosis. When we say think outside the box, we mean think outside of the pelvis. (gasps) Come on now. Extrapelvic endometriosis used to be considered rare. But we are discovering today that extrapelvic endometriosis is not as rare as it once seemed. So before we explain more about extrapelvic endometriosis, we wanted to highlight a nonprofit organization which is run by Wendy Bingham. Shout out to Wendy. And it is called Extrapelvic Not Rare. 
and her website is extrapelvicnotrare.org. Wendy's Facebook support group page is called Extra Pelvic Not Rare. I'm sensing a theme. Are you sensing a pattern? Because I think Wendy really wants to hammer home the point that extra pelvic endometriosis is not rare. Wendy has been a huge contributor to our knowledge of extra pelvic endometriosis. And I follow Wendy on Instagram, and I am also a member of her Facebook page, and I have checked out her website many times, including today, to get information for this section of this episode. And she is working tirelessly to educate doctors and patients that extra pelvic endometriosis is... Not rare! (laughs) (laughs) I've learned! First of all, it's something that every doctor should be learning about, and it's also... I think really important for us as patients of endometriosis to have this knowledge because many of us do have extra pelvic endometriosis. And the doctors are always telling us how rare we are, but we're learning from Wendy that we are not rare, which is sad. You're special. to be special. You're you're still special, but your extra pelvic endometriosis isn't. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think a good place to start is just explaining what extra pelvic endometriosis is as like a definition. So Yeah, I'm, Brittany, tell us. What is it? Oh, so, wait. Oh, wh- what? Is it not in the pelvis? You try to spoil it because you're halfway there. <laughs> Let me say the definition. All right. Well, you didn't even get it 100% right, so oh, I don't even know why you're saying Okay, it. I'll shut up now. <laughs> Sorry. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But extra pelvic endometriosis is endometriosis that's outside of the reproductive organs. So for a biological female, the reproductive organs include things like your ovaries, your uterus, the surface of it, your cervix, the fallopian tubes, your vagina, and the broad, round, and uterosacral ligaments. So those are the reproductive organs in a biological female. And extrapelvic endometriosis is when endometriosis is found outside of those organs. Oh, so even though it's called extra pelvic, they don't really mean outside of your pelvis. Yes, it's I mean, a little it bit of a misnomer. It could be outside of the pelvis, like if it's in your lung. Mm-hmm. But it also could be inside of the pelvis, like my rectometriosis. Mm-hmm. That's why it's yes and no inside the pelvis, outside of the pelvis, because that's not truly all that it means. It encompasses more than that. So it's not rare, and we really need to change the name of it. Exactly. <laughs> To add on to Brittany's definition and to make this all a little more confusing because everything to do with endometriosis always seems to be extraordinarily confusing, well, there is no standard definition of pelvic endometriosis. So some researchers and doctors say that endometriosis on any of the internal female reproductive organs is pelvic endometriosis, while Other researchers and doctors say that endo on places like the vagina or the cervix is actually extrapelvic endometriosis. Huh. So we've placed endometriosis in two categories, which is pelvic and extrapelvic, which Brittany just explained that pelvic is on the female reproductive organs and extrapelvic is not on these reproductive organs. So that can indeed be in the pelvis, like in the intestines or the bladder, or it can also be out of the pelvis, like on your lung or your skin. But to make it a little more confusing and a little more fun, did you know that some researchers actually place endometriosis into three categories? 
Ooh, a third category. Tell me more. <laughs> You'll find out. So they place it in pelvic. Wait for it. Extra genital. Oh. <laughs> and extra pelvic. Extra genital. That, that does not sound good. Brittany, don't be so immature. Extra genital is the scientific term. But for... it sounds horrible. <laughs> I know. It sounds really, really bad. <laughs> so extra genital in this case, is meaning that it's not on the female reproductive organs, but it's still inside of the pelvis, okay? So it can be on your bladder or your bowel or other endo in the pelvis. And then they have the extra pelvic, which is actually outside of what is considered the physical bony structure of the pelvis. Whew! <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. So in my opinion, the three categories is too confusing. I definitely vote for two categories. It's not as fun to call your rectal endo extra genital endo? <laughs> Is that why maybe you only like two? <laughs> I mean, people are then are going to think I have endo like on my labia or something, right? Because people are not going to associate, oh, extra genital. Yeah, it's not actually as descriptive as it thinks it is. No. <laughs> so when the word genital is in there, people are just going to think of your genitalia. So nope. I do not want my endometriosis to be classified in that way, so I am just fine with endometriosis and extrapelvic endometriosis, meaning endometriosis that is not on the female reproductive organs. Interestingly enough, apart from the reproductive system, endometriosis has actually been found in nine other body systems. <gasps> I know! Which ones? Well, it's been found in the skeletal, the muscular, the circulatory, the digestive, the urinary, the nervous, the lymphatic, the endocrine, the respiratory, and the integumentary system, which is your skin. Wow, you said that really fast, and that was really <laughs> impressive, and I wonder if you have that memorized, and I wonder if every single night you say that before you go to bed when you lay your, head on, the, when you lay your head on the pillow. You're like, extra pelvis endometriosis has been found in the skeletal, the muscular, the digestive. <laughs> yes, it's my new mantra. No, I'll slow down and go back. I'll do one by one. So... It's been found in the skeletal system. Oh, your bones. Which is, yes, I'll bones. do the commentary. Okay, okay. Hopefully I'll get the right. <laughs> <laughs> the muscular system. Oh, your muscles. The circulatory system. Oh, the circles. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> it's not a circle system. <laughs> misleading. All these names in science are misleading. <laughs> well, how about if I try... If I feel I like I know sub, what it is, but I don't like know how to explain it. If I it. call it the vascular system, would that help? Veins, blood. Yeah, so the circulatory system is how your blood transports through your circulation oh, around your body. Okay, okay. There you go. Okay. So the next one is the digestive system. Super hard one. I am so intimately familiar <laughs> with the digestive system. Yep, yeah. yep. Uh, then the urinary system. Also, thank you, interstitial cystitis. Yeah, very, very intimately aware with that. <laughs> Then next we have the nervous system. Oh, the one that regulates my pain. Yes. The makes nerves. me nervous. Oh, wait, no. The senses. <laughs> the fibers. All the pain, all the feelings. No. Then we have the lymphatic system. Lymph nodes. Yes, we need those. And our endocrine system. Hormone. Thy oh, thyroid. Hormonal signaling messages. Yes, you're pretty much there. <laughs> yeah, it's all the hormones and the thyroid gland and all those signals being filtered through your body. Then we have the respiratory system. Air. Sweet. Yes, air. Sweet air. <laughs> Breathing. And then the integumentary system. Your skin, Brittany. Oh, did I sneak peek that? <laughs> did you catch that in my fast? <laughs> Thank God. One? Otherwise, I would not have gotten that. <laughs> That's our biggest organ of all, our skin. 
So those are all of the body systems that endometriosis has been found in. Wow. First of all, I didn't even realize that the body had all of those systems. And second, wow, I can't believe they found endo in all of those systems. But I'm wondering which systems it's most common in. I'm glad you asked. (gasps) Give me the data. We're going to start with the place where extrapelvic endo is most common. 10 to 20% of people with endo also have it on their digestive system. That's the most common. Like me. Like you. The rectometriosis. Yes, like 10 to 20% of our listeners. <laughs> the next highest percentage is about 1 to 12% of people with endo could have it on their urinary system. The next highest amount is 25 to 5.6% of people with endometriosis could have it in their respiratory system. And this is usually when you hear people talk about how they have endometriosis on the lung. So they have thoracic endometriosis or they have endometriosis on the diaphragm, for example. Exactly. And then the fourth with the smallest percentage is 1 to 5% of people with endo could have it on their skin system. Ooh. And that could be things like the belly button or surgical scars, the abdominal wall, random pimples that you get on your face. Endometriosis pimples. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Kidding. No, I don't want to. <laughs> you're like ready to go on this big date. and You're getting ready and you're putting your makeup on and you get an endometriosis pimple on your nose. That would be so delightful. You know, I wonder how many necklace and gas points I would get for that in the ASRM system. Oh, wait, none. Root. What about in the other systems, Brittany? So in the other systems, it is considered rarer. (gasps) So the only time we can use the word rare (laughs) when we talk about extra pelvic is those other systems. It is more rare, but there have been cases. So it does exist and it is real in those other systems. You notice that some of the percentages Brittany gave are ranges of percentages. So like 1% to 5% of people with endo have extra pelvic endo in their skin system, for example. And the reason why is that it's hard to know the exact percentage of people with endometriosis who have involvement in any of the areas that we mentioned. And this is because to get an exact statistic, all people with endometriosis would need to be operated on. Operated on by a skilled endometriosis specialist who actually is trained on and has experience in identifying endometriosis on all of the different organs. And that's because many gynecologists don't even know how to look for it, what it looks like, or where to even look sometimes in a laparoscopy. Exactly. So how can we get an accurate statistic if endometriosis is not being identified by the surgeons when the patient has an operation. And then there are plenty of patients who aren't diagnosed because they haven't even had an operation or because their doctors haven't even recognized their symptoms as endometriosis. I think a lot of doctors don't know that endometriosis can be found outside of the reproductive organs. And therefore, as many of us know, because these are realities that we have lived Bowel symptoms from bowel endometriosis might get misdiagnosed as IBS. Bladder symptoms from bladder endometriosis might get misdiagnosed as interstitial cystitis. 
complaints of sharp pain in your side of your chest during your period that's really coming from thoracic endometriosis might be called psychosomatic if medical tests seem to reveal that, quote-unquote, nothing is wrong. Oh, your weird shoulder pain during your period? That's definitely in your head. There's nothing wrong with your shoulder. That's what some patients are being told, but really they have endometriosis on their diaphragm, which is why they're having shoulder pain. And then we have the people whose extra pelvic endometriosis was indeed found and removed, but it was by surgeons who didn't record the data, which means that later it wasn't included in the statistics on extra pelvic endometriosis. And we can't blame them. I mean, why would they record extra pelvic endometriosis when there's no universal system to document it in? The estimates for the percentages on extra pelvic endo are put together from statistics from multiple surgery specialties that record their data. But it's good to keep in mind that it's not all surgical centers and all surgeries done on extra pelvic endo. It gets complicated to try to get a very accurate statistic about the percentage of people who have extra pelvic endometriosis. So in reality, the percentage of people with extra pelvic endometriosis is probably much higher. If we had, first of all, a better understanding of endometriosis, and if doctors were better trained in endometriosis, not just gynecologists, but if all doctors were given a better overview of what endometriosis is, since we just heard that it can affect all of these different bodily systems, then endometriosis could be diagnosed much more readily and extra pelvic endometriosis would be identified much quicker. It's really an injustice, not just to us as patients, but to the study of the disease, I think is really hindered by the fact that we do not have a classification system that encompasses all the different aspects of this disease. So how are researchers supposed to pull data on endometriosis, such as statistics for extra pelvic endometriosis, when doctors are using different classification systems, or perhaps not one at all? Frustrated! That's honestly mind-boggling to me. How is anything supposed to be done efficiently, effectively, or correctly even? Right now, we are looking at statistics that one in five people with endometriosis have extra pelvic endometriosis. So that is not rare. And more research needs to be done into extra pelvic endometriosis and into setting up systems that allow scientists and researchers and patients to better understand this full body disease. Briefly, we wanted to touch on a system called the Endometriosis Fertility Index, or the EFI. Or the EFI. Ooh, Probably not the EFI. Sounds more fun. <laughs> but can we just sounds call more fun. it? Yeah. The EFI. The EFI. The EFI. The EFI. Yes. As we mentioned previously, the ASRM system was developed with fertility in mind, but it actually isn't even a good indicator of fertility. So wow. like, what are you doing? Useless. <laughs> But the EFI, the EFI, as Amy likes to call it, (laughs) has been somewhat more successful in predicting fertility. So the EFI gives a more comprehensive view of your fertility potential, and it takes into account various factors like your age or your fallopian tubes or the ovaries, how they're functioning, the amount of time you've been trying to have a baby, or if you've been pregnant before, or even can include the ASRM score. 
So because it's much more comprehensive and takes all of those fertility markers into account, it can predict better how likely you are to conceive than the ASRM alone can. Maybe the million-dollar question is, if the ASRM was originally designed to predict fertility outcomes, but we have a better system called the FE for determining fertility, then do we really need the ASRM for that? I really don't think so. No. So really, we want a new system. I feel like with endometriosis, Brittany, I just want to burn it all down. Rebrand everything. And we want to redo the whole thing. A new thing name, a new definition, a new system. So antiquated and old, and it is holding us back, getting the treatment that we need. It's holding back our understanding of endometriosis. This is part of the reason my endometriosis is shrouded in mystery. I have stage two endometriosis. What on earth does that mean? You have stage two. I have stage two. This other person has stage two. The word endometriosis means inside, but the <laughs> definition means outside. So really, where is it? Stage two can be, I have anywhere from six to 15 points. So maybe this person has six points and this person has 15 points and that person has 12 points. But we don't know where the points are. We don't know what kind of symptoms they're having. We don't know what the severity of their pain. So it's really vague and confusing uh, and I'm just, really tired of it. None of it makes sense anymore. Is this classification system made by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, or ASRM, the only classification system that exists in the world? Well, no, Brittany, because there's the Brittany and Amy classification staging system. Oh, is that the classification system that says if you're experiencing symptoms, then that sucks and you have endometriosis and you get surgery? Is that 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 classification system? Yes. Oh, yay! (laughs) Also, you get a big hug from us if you want one. (laughs) That's part of the system. I want a big hug from us. <laughs> okay, everyone hug themselves right now. Oh, Brittany and I are squeezing you tight. We're giving you a big hug. We love you very much. <laughs> and if you want to, you can have some fabapple pie. <laughs> the fabapple's back again. I'm going to throw all the fabapples away. The Amy and Brittany endometriosis classification system is going to be based on the symptoms of endometriosis. Endometriosis stage zero is when they found endometriosis in a laparoscopic surgery that was probably done for something different like a C-section or removing a cyst or a fibroid. And they let you know, hey, you have endometriosis. And you're like, what? (gasps) What? What is this endometriosis? I have a who? I have a what? I have an endo what? And you had no idea that you had endometriosis because you have no symptoms at all. Bless you. You have the silent endometriosis. Yes, it's thriving inside of you. But you weren't aware of it because you had zero symptoms. And that is stage zero. Symptom zero. Oh, I like that. Please let me have endometriosis symptom zero. Please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so stage one. We're going to move up to stage one. Stage one is... I'm like, okay, but some things are annoying sometimes. Like, I get really constipated or have really severe diarrhea during my period. But I'm, I'm okay-ish, but I have a couple symptoms here and there. And in stage one is when you're like, oh, okay. I thought there was were kind of like general annoyances that so many people lived with. But now it really makes sense that some of these disturbances that I'm having are probably due to endometriosis. Yeah, they're not actually normal. 
So stage one is like your endometriosis is just kind of like an annoying little toddler and he wants your attention and he's just like pulling on your shirt and he's like, mommy, 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 I want a fapapple. <laughs> <laughs> I want a fapapple pie. Fapapple is code for apple. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah nobody in, in, got in that. Ca- well, in case you didn't listen to the previous <laughs> Endophiles episode where I went on and on about fababbles. extensively about the fababble, not too extensively, like <laughs> stage one. It's like not. T- it's like you have stage symptoms, one amount but it's of fababble. Too extensive. Okay, he's just tugging on your shirt. He's like, mommy, 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 mommy. But it's you know, he's not like screaming or wailing. No or, tantrums. Yeah, not like when you get to stage two. So let's explain stage two. Okay, stage two is more like when you have a moderate symptoms of endometriosis. So. When you found out you had endometriosis, you're like, yes, of course I had endometriosis. I knew I had endometriosis. so many questions. I don't feel well all the time. I am fatigued. I'm in pain. But I'm functioning. You know, most days, some days I'm not functioning. But overall, I'm like functioning, but I'm really not feeling good. My quality of life is not very high. The day my period comes is kind of rough. I have to really take it easy and use some kind of pain relief method. It's not the most comfortable. I definitely know it's above normal, but at least I can handle it. I have a lot of weird allergies to foods, not to fabapples, never to fabapples, but <laughs> of course not. But I have like a lot of weird, unexplained allergies. Like I have a lot of digestive problems. I'm often having a lot of bloat. People ask me if I'm pregnant, but again, I'm like, I'm like functioning. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like more or less. I'm like kind of functioning but, but i'm I still not have like, experiences like some weird pains they're like whoa that's not okay that's not normal i was trying to give a presentation and all of a sudden i feel a lot of pain i need to lay down now yeah, but i don't need to lay down every day yeah that's like a, a level two like things aren't great in there the but toddler they're survivable is pulling on your he's shirt yanking but now he's like he's like mommy mommy i need a fapple and he's kind of like getting screaming. a little aggressive with it yeah he's like screaming he's like, temper tantrum he's like and you're like whoa whoa calm wow. down this you, is more intense have you ingested, than i thought have you ingested sugar i think we need to have a little time out you know who gave you the sugar <laughs> was it the fababble <laughs> so then we move into our final stage of endometriosis on the amy and Brittany classification scale and that is stage three where things are not okay the toddler is not just screaming he is screeching now yanking your shirt off of you into shreds, throwing all the fabapples at your head while simultaneously dragging you to the floor and stomping on your abdomen. That is stage three. (laughs) You feel like garbage every single day. Pain is ripping through you with each fabapple chuck. You're so fatigued that you can only open your eyes for a few minutes and you struggle to get up a flight of stairs. Every time your period comes... It's like an apocalypse inside of your abdomen, like a favapple tree is trying to burst forth from your insides. <laughs> you are bedridden for several days, screaming, vomiting, thrashing in pain. Cursing the favapples that have plagued your life. <laughs> Maybe you're hardly ever able to meet with friends. You've had to quit most of your hobbies. Maybe you've had to quit your job too, because you're unable to function on a daily basis. Welcome to stage three, where your symptoms are what we count, and your symptoms are a lot. (laughs) We don't count them here. It's just a lot, and you're stage three. (laughs) Take a moment 
and think, where would you place yourself on the Amy and Brittany and Demetriosis classification system scale? Ooh, prior to excision, I would definitely have placed myself on a stage three. But ever since excision, the excision surgeon was able to pry that screaming, crying devil of a toddler off of me. <laughs> he was holding on to both of my ovaries with these closed fists. He took one with him. <laughs> he did. He ripped one right out. He's <laughs> like, come on, little guy, get off of her. He's like, no, I'm taking no, one with me. I will take one. <laughs> All right, fine. Souvenir. Take it home. It's totally fine. As long as you get out, you can take it Go in the corner. You're in a permanent timeout for the rest of your life. (laughs) And so now I would say that I'm in stage one. Yes, things are annoying, but survivable. Wonderful. Oddly wonderful. Compared to stage three, oh, God. I love annoying that little toddler pulls on me. He's like, Mommy, I want a fabapple. I'm like, I'll give you all the fabapples you want. (laughs) You're so beautiful. Oh, when I look in your lavender eyes. Isn't he a fabapple tree child? Did I miss something? Am I just totally lost here? (laughs) You're right. His eyes wouldn't be purple. He's not a lilac. He's a fabapple. Yeah, his His irises are just (laughs) fabapples. When I look in your eyes and I see little tiny minuscule fabapples. Oh, tasty. I'm like, oh, you're so adorable. Pull on mommy's shirt all you want. For the rest of mommy's life, just don't have a temper tantrum and scream and stomp on me and pull on me to the ground and yank her hair out and rip her t-shirt to shreds. Yeah, no, we don't want to get back to stage three. I would say also in this stage, we have like half stages you know if you maybe feel like you're between two stages you could be like a one and a half or a two and a half you can't be a three and a half because at that point no it's three is the ultimate okay but you can have a 0.5 or a 1.5 or a 2.5 at three you get a hug and your own fabapple pie that's your prize (laughs) so we're not scientists surprisingly not scientists So are there any other classification systems made by, like, actual people who know what they're talking about? I'm sorry. You're saying that our classification system is not Founded on science? Correct. Yes, I am saying that. While it may be better, it's not official or based on science. (laughs) All right. Either way, I'm going to submit our classification system to the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. And I'm going to ask that they enact our classification system alongside the staging system that they already have. You I see mean, the best of both But worlds. they put their own name in the classification system. So I'm thinking that they're not going to, you know, want to change that based on the fact that it's their own. They've created it. It has their own name in it. I don't know what the pride level is there. So there have been some classification systems that have been suggested to complement the staging system that we already have right now. So when we were doing research about the classification system, we came across another system that's actually used in certain countries, and that is the Enzian classification. Ooh, tell me about it. Sounds pretty. I like it. Okay, Brittany, I see you've given me the who, what, and where. I need to know a when, a why, and a how. Ooh. Curveball with the how. Well, when, it was developed in 2005, but it's actually in use today in those countries that I mentioned. Tell me the why, Brittany. Why? Why was this developed? 
So I think we've talked a little bit about some of the failings of the ASRM system. So that's probably part of the... Did we talk about how that system has very outrageous flaws Yeah, I think we did. Oh, that's what this episode was about. Yes. Yeah, this is what this half of the endophile Mm, is about. Okay, understood. So because of that, they actually used this Enzian classification system in conjunction with the ASRM classification system. Yes. Oh, they're like two halves of a fabapple. Yeah, they are. (laughs) No, they're not. (laughs) They work together to try to have some... (gasps) It's a green fabapple and a red fabapple. They're coming together to make a full pie rather than just a singular fabapple pie, which can be lacking in flavor and substance. (laughs) (laughs) So these two systems used together helps to classify endo in other parts of the body, such as the rectovaginal septum, the vagina, the sacrouterine ligament, to the pelvic wall, the rectum, and the sigmoid colon, the bladder. It even has a part for adenomyosis. What? So all those other organs that get left out in the ASRM system are included Aww. in the Enzian classification system. They're thought system. about. They're not overlooked They're not neglected. and taken for granted. No. They're deemed important enough to have their own spots on the worksheet. They are. Oh. And this classification system is also based on how invasive the endo is. So depending on how many centimeters deep the lesions are in these areas is also taken into account. Wow. Okay. First of all, I want to say, all right, bladder. Let's me and you move to Switzerland, and then we can get classified as well under the... Oh, wait, I don't have it in my bladder anymore. I mean, oh, rectum. Just use your rectum. Come it's on, rectum. Plenty. Let's go. Me and you, let's go to Switzerland. We can live there. Get classified there. And we can eat all the chocolate and cheese. <laughs> oh, it's the land of Amy's dreams. <laughs> oh, my God. Not only can my rectal endometriosis be classified, but I can have all the cheese in the world. I mean, Ooh. you can, but should you? <laughs> and anyone who lives in Switzerland is under a magical spell, but every time they eat cheese, they never feel sick. Wow. Oh, my That's God. That's the best country wow. ever. I'm moving there. Endometriosis <laughs> or not. Anybody listening from Switzerland, we're coming to you. <laughs> okay, Brittany, well, that was fascinating. Now give me the how. The question of the how. How does the system work? So... The how is a little confusing, which is probably a big portion of why this wasn't adapted internationally. Oh, how can it be confusing? It just sounds so wonderful. It's like, oh, this is where you have endometriosis and this is how deep the lesions are. That's not why it's that confusing. That sounds so straightforward. So tell me what A0 means to you. Um, Are we playing Battleship? (laughs) No. Are we playing chess? No. Is that a special ingredient in the fapple pie? Yes. <laughs> the pie that's brewing in my rectum. Oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, the endometriosis pie. Okay. <laughs> no, the classification system uses a number and a letter like A0, B2, C1 to talk about the location and the severity of the endometriosis. Oh. So while that's helpful to describe endo more precisely, especially deep infiltrating endometriosis, It can be confusing to the patient to be told you have endo that is A3, B0, C2, FO, FI, FB. Now, when you say FB, do you mean FB for fabapple? Nope, I don't. Fabapple. No, no, I don't. F for fab, B for bapple. I still don't. Fabapple. The amount of times you say it isn't going to make it real. (laughs) Fabapple. No, the FB stands for involvement of the bladder, not fabapple. Involvement of the 
fababble. The fablabler. <laughs> the fababble bladder. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. All right. I've come up with a new system. Why don't we just write out in plain English where the endometriosis is and how deep it is? Okay? So you'd have something like this. Bladder. No lesions. <gasps> I understand what that means. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Vagina. Deep infiltrating endometriosis of 8 millimeters. <gasps> I understand what that means. Ovaries. Left ovary. Ovarian endometrioma. 3 centimeters. I get what this means. Peritoneum. Six lesions, all under two millimeters. This is making so much sense to me. I like the system even better than our own system. I'm going to be honest. I think there should be two systems. One is the where, what, all that. And then our system, the Amy and Brittany endometriosis classification system, can be the how are you feeling part. So they're used together to see what exactly where everything is and to also gauge the person's level of symptoms. I like that together. Can we be in charge of making the new one? <laughs> Although the only thing is, like, if you use our system, it'd be really long because you'd be like, oh, you have endometriosis. And you'd be like, yes, I have stage three on the Amy and Brittany symptom classification system. But I also have no endometriosis on my bladder and three centimeters of endometriosis on my rectum. And on my right ovary, I have this. And on my sigmoid colon, I have this. So you don't have to tell anybody. Why You just bring your list. You're like, here's my pathology report. <laughs> Here, here, just read this. Here's 12 pages. I don't see why we need a classification system at all. All the doctor needs to know is what and where and how. Badly, it's affecting me. So <laughs> this list can have the what and where, and there's one line for how. Badly, it's affecting me. <laughs> and that's what it is. There needs to be no classification system because clearly, even between doctor and doctor now, the classification system means something different, is arbitrary, and is hard to understand and translate from one specialist to another. Blow it all up. Do it all over again. Well, and the other thing is that, so I knew that I had stage 4 endometriosis, but I didn't know where I had all of the endometriosis until I specifically asked my doctor because I looked at the post-op report. In the post-op report, it mentioned, like, the extensive endometriosis on the bowels, but it wasn't until I had my post-op appointment that I actually was able to ask the surgeon where was my endometriosis? And then we looked at the photos together. And in one of the photos, he said, oh, well, this is your small intestines and see those spots are endometriosis. And here's your colon. And so only when I really like poked and prodded the doctor, ha ha ha, the tables were turned. No, I didn't poke or prod him, but just with my questions, just metaphorically. I threw fapples at no him. No scalpels, just <laughs> rhetorical poking and prodding. Okay. But it was really only when, like, having an understanding of endometriosis and really wanting to understand where my endometriosis was, I went with the questions. Did I have endometriosis on my small intestines? Did I have it on my rectum? Did it have it on my bladder? And that's when he said, yes, yes, yes. The only thing the post-op said was, like, there was no endometriosis on the diaphragm. That was very clearly said in the post-op report, but that was it. And that's a little bit disappointing that it's not clearly written out. And maybe different doctors have different systems. So maybe if you look at your post-op report, it will maybe it will have a little checklist where it names all the places you had endometriosis. But I think for a lot of us, it is really important to know where we had endometriosis because knowing it's just it helps us make sense of the symptoms that we're living with. 
So I think it really does us justice when we're able to know where our endometriosis is, how severe and deep the lesions are, because that's things that we want to know that solves the great mystery of the endometriosis in our bodies. Amy mentioned the stage one through four doesn't correlate to the severity of your symptoms. And for me, I think that's one of the things that's fundamentally wrong with the system. When we hear things numeric like that, one through four, we do automatically assume, because of the way other classification systems are, that stage four means the worst, meaning you feel the worst. Everything is the worst inside. Because you can have similar pain, the exact same pain, more pain than a person at stage four if you're stage one, sometimes it can feel invalidating to say, oh, I'm stage one. Some people in the community may see, oh, well, your symptoms aren't as severe as mine because you're stage one. Some doctors may even be under the misconception that your symptoms can't be as bad at stage one as they are at stage four. And we know that's simply not true. So don't let your stage make you feel invalidated for the severity of symptoms that you're having. Because if you're having severe symptoms at stage one, you are having severe symptoms regardless of the extent or the amount of endometriosis that is in your body, or despite where it is. So I think for me, that's one of the things that I think is fundamentally flawed with the staging classification system, is that it doesn't take into account how we're feeling and how the endometriosis and where it is makes us feel. So don't let whatever stage you are make you feel like your experience or your symptoms aren't valid, because that's just not true. They totally are. And the severity of your experience is just as fair at stage one as it is for somebody at stage four. Absolutely right, Brittany. No one should have to feel like they have to justify, oh, well, it's only stage one, Mm -hmm. or it's not that bad because it's only stage one. Endometriosis is endometriosis. And it is bad, no matter the stage. (laughs) Oh, no, now they're scared. They're like, but I was told I have stage one and I don't have any symptoms, and now Brittany and are saying that it's really, really bad. Well, we're just saying it's still a disease. Yeah, It's still a disease process that's in your body. If you don't have symptoms, it's so wonderful. Yay! You have symptoms. What are you? You're stage zero on the Amy and Brittany scale. (laughs) So we hope that this episode has given you much to think about with your endometriosis and the staging system. Maybe you're thinking about what stage you are in the Brittany and Amy system and what stage you are in the classic ASRM staging system. And now you're going to go Google the Enzion classification system and trying to figure out your coordinates of your endometriosis and also perhaps for your ships in battleship. Or your next move for your (laughs) pawn and Jess. A3, B12. (laughs) We thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for deep dive investigating on this Endophiles episode. And we hope that you join us and cracking the case on the next endophile. Ooh. Will it be aliens? I mean, excision surgeons? Will it be ghosts? I mean, shrieks of pain? Or will it be demonic possession or just a flare? Brittany, this is an endometriosis in the 15th century. There are no demons here. I'm sorry, people with endometriosis (gasps) in the 15th century. Will it be witchcraft? (gasps) A little bit, always. (laughs) Paranormal activity. Find out on their necks. Will your uterus go bump in the night? Oh, 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 I hope not. (laughs) Or will your excision surgeon remove the bump in the night? Probably not in the night because they don't do surgery. (laughs) I hope they don't. In the daytime. (laughs) 
Well, you'll just have to listen to the next Endophile and find out what mystery we solve then. If you have anything that you would like us to investigate for the Endophile series that we're doing, please reach out to us. We are on Instagram at in 16 years of endo and we are on the website in 16years.com let us know what stage you are in the amy and Brittany classification system let us know how many fabapples <laughs> it takes to make your perfect fabapple pie <laughs> thank you so much for joining us oh your version was beautiful talk to you next time <laughs> 